It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Doesn't matter that it's training camp. It doesn't matter what day of the or what week of the year it is. Your questions are still the most important thing that happened on Thursday. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. Right now, it's the BWI Mailbag Show. So strap in. You're conducting the interview today. Now, what does change, and by the way, I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, here on the BWI Daily Edition. What does change through the week of the year might be who my co-host is when we're doing the mailbag. I guess Nate had to take a day off from our two-a-days. He's been going hard right. after our, our, our positional previews, so he needed this show off before he returns later. So Greg Pickle filling in for our mailbag episode. Greg, I'm excited. This should be fun, changing it up it a little bit. It should be. I got big shoes to fill with Nate not here, but I am willing to give it a shot. No promises, and I will probably disappoint some of you out there, but that's okay. I'm willing to give it a shot, T. Frank. That's all right. I've already disappointed everybody with this shoulder shimmy I did. I don't know what that was. That was like somebody's mom at a wedding, just like dancing in the corner. I don't know why I did that and why I keep doing it. But anyway, uh, let's get to the BWI mailbag. Got a lot of questions today, uh, and I want to make sure we get to all of them. So we'll be doing that right now. Of course, the best way to get your questions in on the show, I say that all the time at this point, is... Be a member at bluewhiteillustrated.com. Sign up for just $1 and get 12 months of access to the Lion's End Premium Message Form. That's where I post the uh, the call. I put the call out on the mailbag thread, and then you can ask your questions. We'll get the questions. The best ones get up here on the show. And, of course, I'll take a couple select good questions from Twitter as well. But the primary place, bluewhiteillustrated.com, and then you can ask questions all the time, but you can officially uh, be fancy pants and get your name and your and your uh, handle up on the screen. So let's get to it, Greg. Keep saying that. Let's get let's actually get to it. Beaverman 72. Actually, we're going to go with his first question. What okay. are reasonable expectations for Nick Singleton and Katron Allen this year, particularly through the first four games? J1 Sider quoted saying that Singleton and Allen have raised the entire room because they run angry. The praise for the two backs continues to grow while there's little mention of the other players. As uh, the production... Uh, is this a product of questions being asked that are in reference to the freshmen? And given what we've heard to this point, why is it unreasonable to see them as the top two players on the depth chart in week one? Greg, I, I well, think it's that that one part there in the middle, right? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but I, I would say a couple of things. Number one, I, I think it's a good question because we are getting to a point, T. Frank, where the hype train on these two guys are rolling down the tracks at a speed yeah. that is uh, really hasn't been seen since... Uh, I, you can't even say since Saquon Barkley because no right. one expected him to burst onto the scene the way he did. So, I mean, you have to go back quite a ways to find two running backs at Penn State who have generated this much buzz and this high of expectations before ever taking a snap. So I do think yeah. it might be good to dial things back a little bit. But you were practice with uh, with me earlier this week. I mean, you look at those guys, and we saw them in the spring. They look tremendous. But to the point yep. about 
Is it more about the, how the questions are asked? I think that's very important because yes, yeah. uh, it's the questions that are being asked that elicit answers that we're talking about here. T Frank with K trying on the Nick Singleton, the questions put those two guys' names, you know, they're in the question. So that's what's being responded to. And so I think we shouldn't forget about Kevon Lee, who I do think is going to be the starter for the opener. And obviously Devin Ford and Keziah Holmes are here too. But when you look at the depth chart, I think it's going to be those two guys is, is 2A and 2B with Kevon Lee number one to start things at Purdue. But if you told me those two guys moved up the depth chart by, let's just say, Auburn uh, to a point where they were sharing more of the first team reps, I wouldn't be stunned. But that may be a little bit aggressive. So ultimately, yeah. I think it's fair to expect them to play. I think between the two of them, they're going to get at least 50 to 60 percent, probably about 50 percent of the snaps, uh, you know, maybe 25 and 25 or 30 yeah. and 20, something like that, with Kevon Lee getting the other, uh, I don't know, 65% and maybe 5% for Devin Ford. So I just know yeah. one thing. Jaywon Sider never wants to go through a season again without a 100-yard rusher. He's tired of talking about it. He knows right. how much of a problem it was. And so they're going to do what they have to do to make that a reality. They're going to need help from the offensive line and the offense, of course. But they're going to play the guy that will best give them the chance to do that and give them the best chance to win. If it's one of those guys, they will. I think it, it's a fair point to make about uh, the reason we're asking questions, by the way, about these players is because Kevon Lee is a known commodity. We know, right. I think we know exactly what we're going to get from him. So there is not really any new territory to get from asking questions there unless the question is, hey, is there anything we don't know? Anything happened this offseason where he changed who he is? And based on what we saw in the spring game, I, I don't think yeah. that that's the case. So that is a function of the questions, but it is also warranted that every time we're rewarded with an answer, right? When you talk about Nick Singleton or Katron Allen, we're rewarded with a positive answer from one of the coaches, specifically when we ask James Franklin, who we have the most access to. Uh, let's go to our next question. Okay. And uh, actually, I want to, you know, let's do this right now. Let's do this right now. Coast fan has been a, a fan of the pod for a long time. We're coming up. We we're, we passed the year mark and we're heading into the season where we really hit our stride last year. So Coast fan asks, are you going to have Manscaped as a sponsor on the show again? It was entertaining when you asked Nate to say something about the products and he was flustered saying his mom watched the show. Well, Coast fan, <laughs> I would love to have Manscaped as a sponsor. The problem is you didn't buy any. Like right. we, we had them on the show. We had a sponsor. <laughs> I was very appreciative of them taking a chance on us, a brand new podcast. Uh, we have grown exponentially since then. So expect to see more sponsors in the future. But it was all based on if you used our promo code and and you, the 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 uh, as a whole, our listeners found that they sided more with Nate than they did right. with me. That being said, we do have a sponsor on the show. If you've been looking for a reliable source of tickets for Penn State football games, well, Jim at TicksmanJim.com, formerly PSUTicksman.com, has been running his ticket exchange in Wilmington, Delaware for 25 years. Over 25 years, actually. Great. Uh, every buyer is handled with courtesy, respect, and every ticket purchased is guaranteed. Proceeds are used to fund the PSU chapter of the uh, the PSU AA chapter of the scholarship fund and the PSU Levi Lamb fund for athletic scholarships. Get your home opener, Ohio U, your Ohio State stripeout tickets, or your Minnesota homecoming whiteout tickets. Go to www.ticksmangym.com. If you're watching here on YouTube, you can see his uh, 
his uh, website at the bottom of the screen. Email. And it's, this is really hard, Greg. It's ticksmanjim at gmail.com. Got it. 302-521-8380. That's 302-521-8380. So, Coast fan, thank you uh, for reminding me to get our sponsor in at the beginning of the show. That's Beautiful. It. Well done, T. Frank. Uh, I got a question here from PSU87 on Twitter. He asked me to clean it up because his grammar was terrible. So we're going with just the, the rolling ticker at the bottom of the screen. Do yep. the Nick Lions face more quality pass-oriented offenses or run-oriented offenses in 2022? This is a great question because I know that a lot of fans are nervous about Manny Diaz's defense, the weaknesses of Penn State last year, and the just the way that the defense is set up versus old school linebackers, nose tackles, you know, having beef in the trenches. That does not equate to what Penn State is doing. So, uh, Greg, do you have a sense of where Penn State's going to land in terms of pass oriented or run oriented offenses this year? Yeah, there's a lot of concern that this is still the Big Ten of old and that teams are just going to line up in three yard and cloud of dust it. And some teams are still going to do that, of course. But I mean, let's go through the schedule really quick. I mean, Purdue, they might run the ball four times all season. I mean, so that could be one or <laughs> none at all against uh, Penn yeah. State. So you're getting pass oriented at there. Throw out the MAC teams. It doesn't really matter to me what they do. Yeah. Uh, Auburn, you're going to see a lot of Tanks Bigsby in that running back group down there. They will, of course, be balanced. But, uh, you know, yeah. they, uh, as Penn State fans remember from Beaver Stadium last year, they have some very good running backs that they plan to use. So and I don't a know new if it's fair to call them. Right. Yes. They'll and have so a I don't new quarterback this year. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know if it's, it should be TJ Finley. I imagine if Penn state fans remember that name, he was, uh, yeah. he was down to Penn state. I believe uh, LSU was in the mix where he was coming from LSU. I, I you know, yeah. he was coming from LSU. Yeah. And picked Auburn. So I think it should be him this year, but um, you know, you I, I would... to, just a, a quick thing. I actually talked to some of the Auburn guys last week. I brought up TJ Finley and they all kind of like looked out the side of their eye. So I don't think they're super enthused about him because he did play a little bit last year after the Penn state right. game. So I don't know that we know the quarterback just yet, but yes, TJ Finley is one of the guys that's very close in that competition. Right. So, I mean, when you move into October, then obviously, you know what you're going to get with Michigan, you know what you're going to get with Ohio state, uh, Northwestern, uh, they're really hard for me to figure out any year. I mean, maybe you can yeah. say they're run oriented, uh, but overall, I mean, then you get into the November or the November stretch and, uh, you know, Minnesota at the end of October is, of course, going to throw it around now with Kirk Sharaka and Tanner Morgan. So I would think yeah. it's probably more pass oriented, T. Frank, which I don't think that's such a surprise, a surprise anyone because that's just yeah. the way the college game is going. Yeah. You look at Ohio State, Indiana, Maryland, that three game stretch right there, those are, uh, traditionally pass heavy offenses maryland could be very explosive this year with that offense and i know that that's right. something people have said maybe last year a little bit but don't underestimate maryland's offense talia tongue of aloha i know the interceptions were a thing last year but if you look beyond that you look at some of the play-by-play -play stuff that he did there yep. were some elite level throws i you know i don't know that he's better than his brother but he certainly is doing more than his brother did uh from a what he's responsible for in the offense uh, than, than Tua did at, at Alabama. Like, there's a lot right. on his shoulders to throw the ball down the field and to throw the ball a lot. But you do have, I, it seems like it's a good mix and a good balance. I think Northwestern's, uh, 
the Northwestern offensive philosophy is to play defense. That's how right. I've always felt about Northwestern. But you do have Michigan and Minnesota who like to play that run heavy and then uh, play action off of that, which is why, you know, those are more balanced teams. So uh, pick your poison here. I think it's a balance of both. And it's a, it's a good question, but I don't know that we'll we'll have a good view of some of these teams because not to drag this out too much, but is Michigan going to be as good at running the ball as they were last year? Right. That was well, keep in anomaly. mind, they have a new coordinator out there, too. Now, Jim Harbaugh is still going to call the plays or be heavily involved in the calling of the plays, so it's still going to yeah. be his offense, but remember, Josh Gaddis is now at Miami as well. Yep, yep, and that's there's a lot of variables there as well. I'll still, when I see them consistently able to do that is when I'll believe it, and if I see it consistently in the first month of the season, then I'll know we're back to 2021 Michigan, but until then, they, they've tried that multiple times, and they've just been kind of an average offense. Colby from Twitter asks, who's the most likely for Penn State to add to the non-con schedule for 2025? Last time I checked, they still had a spot open for a Power 5 team. Greg, if you if you talk to James Franklin about playing Auburn in September, it's definitely not going to be a team like that. But what is the balance there of playing somebody competitive and interesting, but also making sure that you are doing everything you possibly can with a nine-game Big Ten schedule to give yourself a positive record overall? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I can't really answer that question, not only because you would need a magic eight ball to do so, but also because, I mean, we're in the midst of this, you know, realignment and, you know, the Big Ten could get rid of divisions as soon as next year if it wants to. It could add yeah. another game at some point, which is maybe going to happen, but probably not. Obviously, it seems to be sitting tight on, tight rather, on the Pac-12 expansion beyond USC and UCLA. So, I just don't know how you could schedule a non-conference game for the future right now because you don't know where that team's coming. It could be coming right. or coming or going. Uh, it could be coming to your comp your conference, and then you know, obviously, that would create some some obstacles and hurdles. So I don't have a schedule in front of me for 2025 right now, but I just think that if you're looking ahead at some of these non-conference matchups, it just would be patient on booking your travel and things like that because i feel pretty good that we're going to see some schedule changes both with in the big 10 and in non-conference uh matchups down the road here so uh, it's just too early to say with everything that's going on in college football 2025 they open versus nevada they have september 6th as an open spot and then they have villanova after that so boy that that's is... an exciting start <laughs> But that's more what James Franklin's looking for, right? Like 3-0 when you go into Rutgers then in September, on September 20th. That is absolutely what they're looking for. Uh, and, and another variable I think here that's important to know on, on the administrative level is Pat Kraft. What's his, what is his appetite for those things? And what is his view of the best way to position Penn State football for success? Um, right. You know, because some of these decisions weren't even made by Sandy Barber. Like this is going before her even when it comes to uh, the schedule. So Beaverman said it too. He got greedy, but I am going to grant him his second question. Second question. The quarterback room is somewhat light after Joey Porter Jr. And Kalen King, Daquan Hardy is the slot. Johnny Dixon, he says is serviceable, but is there a solid fourth corner? On the other hand, safety room seems extremely deep with several, several converted corners. Is there an opportunity for Ellis or Wheatley Keaton Ellis or Zaki Wheatley to serve as a fourth corner or should Penn state feel confident in what they have at corner in uh, yeah, so, in go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry, T Frank. I cut you off. I mean, I would just say a couple of things here. So, you know, Penn state lists on its roster, Christian driver at corner, but I think 
I just wonder if he's going to be a safety, not necessarily a corner. I mean, it's a fair question at this point. You know, when you look at this Penn State secondary, I think you should feel really good about it. But it is a little bit light on numbers once you get past those top guys. I'm curious to see if we see Jake Dixon take a bigger step forward. But yeah, it's hard to get too animated over numbers concerns here when you have Joey Porter Jr., Kalen King, and Daquan Hardy all back. Now, I know, obviously, yeah. that one injury and you're in a different place. But to answer the question specifically, I mean, Zaki Wheatley, I, I just don't see him moving back. to They just moved him to safety for a reason. Yeah. So why would they move him back to corner right away? And then with Keaton Ellis, I mean, if he loses that job, maybe he does end up back in that kind of a role. But, you know, I know with this defense, T. Frank, you have a little bit of flexibility. So... Yeah, I'm not too concerned about the numbers, and I'm just curious to see more than anything else who wins that safety battle and what adjustments could be made from there. So it's it's an interesting place to start when you talk about the secondary because part of this is what is your position and then what is your general responsibility in the defense. And that field safety, the free safety, where you have Keaton Ellis and you have this depository of former corners, is they're playing a lot of single coverage anyway. Even in, you know, this is kind of... in indicative of all college offense or all college defenses where you have only so many resources and teams have to play usually a too high look because of the field orientation like how wide the hashes are so you've got a lot of safeties that are former corners that play in single coverage anyway but we're talking i think specifically let's just let's just talk about the boundary corners because the slot is going to take care of itself with sub packages and and hardy and all that stuff why don't you feel good about Marquise Wilson uh, at, at corner? He was a in, in back in 2019. He's a borderline ball hawk. Now he was thin. He didn't play the run well. And Penn State was very deep and talented at the cornerback position last year. So they decided, let's see if we can play him on offense where they needed a slot receiver. That didn't work out. But I, I guess that doesn't diminish my interest in him as a veteran depth. It's a good player. point. Yeah, We're not talking about there needs to be four starters. We're talking about right. four dependable players to play that position. I think Johnny Dixon and, uh, and 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 Marquise Wilson do that very well. But if you're saying project to the future, I agree that right now you've got Cam Miller and Christian Driver. They are not quite the same thing as what you have right now with Joey Porter, Porter Jr. and Kalen King. So right. is that going to be a place where in the class of 2023 – where you have a top 100-ish player in Elliott Washington. Does he, you know, force his way onto the field early? But for this season, I think Penn State's depth is good because you have those guys, and they're cross-training uh, Daquan Hardy, at least from what I saw in the in the scrimmage, in the spring scrimmage, they're cross-training him at the boundary corner as well. So you've got options. I, I guess I wouldn't look at it the same way. Yeah, no, I can. I can't say it better than you did, T. Frank. I, I know what uh, the question's getting at, but yeah, I think the no. If you think there's a numbers issue there, I think it'll solve itself by the uh, the time the season gets rolling. You can't say it any better because I said all the words. I used all the words to talk about that. So, <laughs> uh, Lamgill passionate. Asks, I give you that. <laughs> Who will be the most improved player from last season? One player in offense and defense. Uh, we've had variations of this question, but I like this one because it's about most improved he says Cade Wallace because I is there to be most improved I think those are two quality options does anyone come to mind for you when it, it comes to players that starters that need to improve this year that will 
Yeah, I'm kind of bummed he picked Caden Wallace because that's who I was going to go with initially. I didn't yeah. read the questions before we came on the air. I like to be spontaneous, T. Frank. I like to just roll with it and see what happens. So I was going to go with Caden Wallace but because it's no fun to go that direction. I'm going to go with a guy that Penn State fans, I think, think they know what he's capable of. And I think we're going to see a whole different side of him this year. And that's Keandre Lambert-Smith, the wide receiver mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. many think can be the third starter for Penn State. Drops of at times have been an issue. And Taylor Stubblefield talked last year about the fact that he just kind of had to be able to move on from one play to the next better. And if he's able to do that and, you know, the physical tools are there, I think you're going to see an improved Keandre Lambert-Smith in 2022. So he would be my pick there. And then my pick on defense, uh, I can't wait to read the comments here, but we talked about this a bit on the Lions Den uh, message board on uh, Wednesday. But, you know, Jonathan Sutherland moves positions, and Penn State fans were almost unanimously in agreement that Jesse Lucchetto was going to work at defensive end when he changed positions, but there was almost unanimous agreement the other way this time around with Jonathan Sutherland where there's no chance he's going to work out at that Sam linebacker spot. And, look, I get all the reasons why, and he certainly may not, but – if you're talking about most improved on that side of the ball, I mean, there's a number of ways you can go. Uh, but I, I just am very curious to see what that position switch does for him and if that better suits his skill sets. We'll see. Yeah. And again, I know that Penn State fans are almost unanimously in agreement. And they don't, you guys don't unanimously agree about <laughs> oh, anything, really. But yeah. that one is yeah. unanimous. So I'm curious to see what happens there. I'll make him my pick. There, there was a couple, I think there's a couple of people that have hit on the real reason you should be concerned about Jonathan Sutherland, and it's not his size. And this is the thing. Manny Diaz has has played with this scheme for a while. This is not something new for him. And there have been different body types that have played that position, including guys that I think are closer to true slot players and true corners than actually safeties. And I bring this guy, I've brought this guy up in articles before. I've brought him up on the message board. But Jaquan Johnson back at Miami, it's 190 pounds, and he played that striker position and played it well. You know, I I didn't go into all of the film, but when I watched him, had command of his job. He was not a liability in run defense for the most part. You know, like if you got an offensive lineman on him, you got to make some decisions, but it wasn't like he was getting run over by everybody. So right. this does work. There are NFL teams that run this style of defense, and there are bigger, faster, stronger players on the offensive side of the ball, and it still works, and it's still a you know, a decent run defense. So I, I, I think the problem with Sutherland is his open field tackling. I think that is a, and somebody brought this up the other day and I thought that was a very astute observation that it's not necessarily that he's too small. It's that he just misses tackles and he can come in too hot and he doesn't break down well all the time. Those are, those are the reasons that you should be concerned. Not necessarily that he's going to get steamrolled by Michigan. Like I, you take on blocks, you take on blocks. If you're a football player, right. you've got to be able to do that. Uh, for me, we're down to the slim pickings here, so I'm going to say the most inflammatory thing, and I'm going to say on offense, Sean Clifford is the most improved. And this is one of those situations where he wasn't terrible last year, but the bad was bad enough that it hit, it inhibited Penn State's ability to win games. On the flip side, I think the perception of Joey Porter Jr. was worse than he played, but the perception can be way better this year than maybe what happens if if he gets his hands on the football. And that's the point of the Manny Diaz defense is to be aggressive, force the issue, and let the, the defensive backs jump routes. So if he can do that and he's a shutdown corner, I think he can go from a good player to maybe an elite one. You know, he's always had that potential. So 
I'll I'll bank on him breaking out as a as a as an elite player this fall. I like that's it. That's out on that's out on a limb. Right. Uh, here's a good one. We don't have Nate, our resident expert on special teams here, but I think you've got a good handle of things like this. Joey from Twitter asks, uh, field goal and uh, PAT. The job trending towards one guy, or is there a chance that we get another split like we had previously with Jake Penninger going 45 and under, Sanders Sahedek going 45 and over? Any insight into that just yet, or what do you think that'll break out as? Yeah, I mean, I think that, no, I think one guy's going to be the placement kicker. I think one guy's going to be the field goal kicker, or I'm sorry, the placement kicker, and then one other person will be the kickoff specialist, and we'll have a punter. Mm -hmm. I, I would be very surprised if we go back to, unless it's so clear and obvious that there's no choice, uh, a situation where one player is doing either two of those three jobs or all three of those jobs like uh, Jordan Stout did in 2022. So, I mean, I think we're going to see a split there. I, I would... I'm expecting Pinninger to be the field goal guy, Sahadik to be the kickoff guy, and Pachetta to be the punter. I know that Barney Amor is here, and he will compete for that job, and obviously uh, Bachetta can kick off as well, and so can Gabe and Wosu. So there's some battles yeah. to be won there. But, yeah, I mean, I think that it's – you know, when James Franklin said at Big Ten Media Days that some people aren't calling Jay Pinninger a starter, but he was a starter at one point in time. I mean, well, they're not calling him a starter because Penn State took that away from him last year. So, right. I mean, I, I, I wasn't terribly sure what he was getting at there, but the fact that he yeah. felt compelled to bring it up at Big Ten Media Days sort of tells me that – that's the guy they're going to go with. So that's my take on it right now. And we'll see what yeah. Stacy Collins has to say on Saturday. That's, a, that's one of those situations where it's like, we know what you're trying to say, but like, do we buy that? I, I there's right. some, of you made situations. the situation the way it was. Yeah. You made the situation the way it yeah. was. So that's why people are saying <laughs> that. Yes. Uh, Dave Ray asks, uh, what part of Penn state's team has to improve for them to be a playoff contender? Why, have they come up short against Ohio State over the years? And how can they finally break through? We have a, a similar Man, if conversation. We had the, if we had this magic wand answer, T. Frank, we'd be worth a lot of money. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I would definitely already be working in some program. Like, if I had the answer, I would go to James Franklin and be like, hey, I've got something for you, but it's going to cost you. Anyway, right. um, we have a similar conversation coming up in one of our uh, roundtables this week where we we predict when Penn State is going to reach the college football playoff when's the next opportunity and you know we have our own varying answers but buried in there are some of the things that answer this question so what came to mind when you wrote that and what comes to mind when you read this question about the first part specifically of when can they be a playoff contender and actually get there because they've been a contender up until right. you know the 11th or 12th week of the season and they ultimately lose a game they shouldn't uh, I guess there's a number of places you can start here. I, if you want to start with the offensive line and having true bonafide tackles, that's a fine place to start. Uh, obviously, top 10 to top five in the country quarterback play would be another place to start. But, you know, yeah. when I when I think back to some of these Ohio State losses, T. Frank, parts of the problem are, and now the defense has been relied on a lot in some of those games and not so much in some other ones, but you know, it's not having a consistent year over year number of true high end pass rushers and defensive tackles that can change the game with a sack mm -hmm. or a tackle for loss. They've had some really good ones and they've had some moments that that happened. But I mean, think back to the second half Garrett Sickles had against Ohio State and that, that yeah. was not a consistent part of his game. And to me, that's been the biggest challenge is that 
Penn State has not had someone that can just go out there and be a game wrecker along the defensive line consistently. They've had some really good ones, and Odafe Owe was close to that. But when it comes down to it, I mean, the most successful teams have a pass rush that can change the game, an offensive line that can move you out of the way, and a quarterback who doesn't make mistakes can make plays with his feet and with his arm and is capable of winning a game by staying healthy. And, you know, obviously that's a random part of things, but – you know, that, that's been an issue for Penn State of late at the quarterback position. So, yeah, I mean, I think once you put all those things in a melting pot and you put them all together, uh, that would get you into the position to beat Michigan on the road and Ohio State at home and be in the college football playoff uh, conversation, assuming you win the Big Ten title. But, I mean, all those things sound great. And if they were easy to get, uh, everyone would have them and nobody would yeah. be without them. Uh, so for Penn State, I think those are kind of the key topics there. And, you know, we'll see. Recruiting is, again, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. It's the lifeblood of this sport. And Penn State fans uh, know that. And Penn State knows that. And whether or not they're able to find, uh, you know, some more offensive tackles in this cycle, we'll see. They just had a miss there. And defensive tackle recruiting is so-so. So, I mean, yeah, uh, that's areas that need to be picked up down the road. No question. Yeah, and by the way, if you want to get that information, Tuesdays is our BWI Daily Recruiting Show with Greg and with Ryan Snyder. You get all your up-to-date information, what's going on in Penn State recruiting. So if you don't watch that show, I don't know why. They're all right here on our YouTube channel or in the same stream for our podcasts. Awesome show, great insight, great information. And uh, I, if I had a James Franklin impression, I would do it right now because what you just said boils down to what he says is it's all of it. You need right. you need to have you know elite players at key positions. You can't miss. You can't give up any ground. And this is with the conversation we've had about the quarterback position in the class of 2023 when we talk about losing Marcus Stokes and what I right. thought his ceiling was as a player of being a little bit better than his three-star rating and having more potential than I think some people wanted to give him credit for after he decommitted. But the point is you can't miss because these other programs that you're competing against, they aren't missing. And if they're, if they're missing, then they take other high level prospects that they wanted slightly less than the ones they really wanted rather than they're right. left without somebody at a position. So that's where Penn State needs to get where they are. If they're missing out on maybe a top five player in the nation, they're still getting a guy that is in the top 100. Not that they have to dip right. down into, you know, lower than lower in the on 300 recruiting rankings. Secondly, there's more than one way to win, right? So I think I tend to be bad about this of talking about the best way to win or the exact thing that I think you should do. There are multiple ways to win. You can have an elite running game. You can have elite defense. You can have the, the Georgia formula, but you have to have a historically good defense. The other way is to have a great quarterback. That is the way that everyone wants to go because you can, I don't want to say cut corners, but you can definitely make up some ground quickly when you have right. not just, and this is where I think Trace McSorley was very good, but he was just that threshold below an elite college quarterback where you couldn't get over the hump in some of those games. He wasn't enough to elevate losing a 17 point lead in the fourth quarter. He couldn't quite get those things done and not to put all of it on him, but there are just those things that elite quarterbacks can do in those moments to respond and put more points on the board. So I think that's a, a part of the story is how do you want to be? What do you want to be? And I think it's clear what Penn State wants to be. They want to be an all of it team, but they do try to win by getting that elite quarterback. And if not, getting a guy that can 
run, change the numbers, be that sort of athletic guy that is a a dual threat sort of quarterback as much as I don't believe in that term. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Poncho 570. I eventually see an NFL model when expansion is inevitably happens where you have 14 pods in divisions because of location. I see Penn State joining the hip with Rutgers and Maryland. Do you think the fourth team will end up being Ohio State or do you think that it will be a school that adds to the conference later? And if the school is the it's a conference ad, who do you think makes up that position that makes the most sense? Yeah, I mean, Greg, I don't so, I don't necessarily agree with the the regionality part of that, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of thoughts on this. I've kind of I know disrespect to the question and the question asker, but I just I'm not really terribly thrilled in trying to speculate on conference realignment and things that could happen down the road and pods yeah. and everything else. I mean, we can sit here for hours and days and months and years and talk about what this could look like, but unless you knew that USC and UCLA were going to come to the Big Ten, just think about that sentence for a second. USC <laughs> yeah. and UCLA are coming to the Big Ten. I mean, I just we're trying to rationalize and use logic to uh, figure out and predict a process in a sport and a group of people that are not predictable and are not logical beyond the yeah. fact of, hey, that's a pretty big take. That's a pretty big amount of money. That's a pretty big TV rights deal. It's a pretty big yep. amount of revenue. Um, so that to me, I think it's just too difficult to. I get the question and it makes sense. Um, but I, you know, to sit here and try and do that math, I think it's just too challenging. I do think that if it would happen, they're going to keep Ohio State and Michigan together. So that might yeah. preclude Penn State from uh, doing that unless they made Michigan a. Uh, uh, a must opponent for Ohio state, uh, even right. outside of its pod. But again, I just, uh, to get into all that, I just think it's too much right now. Yeah. So you bring up the one point I wanted to, to have there about Michigan, Ohio state. And it's not just the pre- preserving the tradition of the rivalries, because we've seen those come and go over time with, you know, money is going to trump everything, but those games are the most watched on TV. So there is a correlation between keeping those games and keeping the revenue. The second point here, and this is kind of why I wanted to talk about this question, is if if you're talking about an NFL model, the Miami Dolphins and Dallas Cowboys are considered Eastern teams with mostly Northeastern teams. So let's not act like in the NFL, there's also regionality when it comes to your divisions. The Eagles and, and the Commanders play the Cowboys, who are decidedly not on the East Coast. So college football doesn't care about regionality anymore. We've, we've discovered that with what you talked about with those two teams. So, you know, just throw a dart at the map and whoever makes the most sense, it could be that fourth team. Uh, Philip in the Valley, Penn state versus Purdue. 
Penn State up by six. Purdue has the ball on their own 35 late in the fourth quarter. Ooh, I should have done that a little more in honor of Vince Scully, a little more play-by-play-ish. But the question is, who's playing along the defensive line for Penn State in that moment? This is a fun question. Greg, lead us off here. Uh, wow, that's a great question. Um, I will go with uh, Adisa Isaac, Nick Tarburton at the ends, PJ Mustafer, and one of Kozai Izzard, Devon Ellie's uh, next to him. And then if Purdue starts to move the ball, I think you see Zane Durant come in and uh, maybe Penn State tries and rotates in some guys at end to stay fresh because they've had issues closing out games and they try and keep yeah. guys fresh. But you got to have your best guys out there. So that'd be my – you're going to see the first teamers. And Zane Durant is probably getting close to being in that conversation, but he's not there yet, I don't believe. Yeah. Maybe he will be later in the season. But that would be my assumption that you'll see those four across the front. I go a little different because even in so the the it's how many minutes are left in the fourth quarter late? Are we talking two minute drive or are we talking uh, there's six minutes left? Because if they still have the ability to run the ball, I'm all with you. But if we're saying that this is this is a win the game with this drive situation, PJ Mustfer even last year wasn't really a part of the pass rushing package all the time. So I would go Adisa Isaac Chop Robinson because I'm just painting a slightly different scenario. Pass rushing group. And then um, probably Devon Ellis, I'd go because you still want to have some element to stop the run. You want to still have one guy who's kind of holding the line of scrimmage. And then from there, he, like you said, I think it's one of Zane Durant, Hakeem Beeman, or Kazai Izzard at that three technique. So those would be the guys that I would say get in there. But you're right when it comes to if that drive continues, you could see just about anybody as they're trying to find somebody to get to the quarterback. But right. the situation there, I think, is important. Ron Mexico, a non-football question here, Greg. I threw this in because you're a baseball guy, right? You, yes. you're, you're a baseball fan. I am not. So this is all on you if you want to answer. Do steroids say guys like Bonds and Clemens deserve to make the Hall of Fame? Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can. Uh, I mean, this is yeah, this is just a debate that will never end. I mean, look, I, I just think that if you're the, the game has been played in all different kinds of ways, and you know now we have different balls, and it seems like some teams have found ways to cheat and use different balls. And we have the Astros stealing signs. I mean, to me, the Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame, and if you're going to put, you know, if you're not going to recognize that part of the game then you what's the point of the hall of fame is to remember i know you're supposed to be honoring the greats yeah but it's also the history of the game so to me the yeah. answer is yes yeah I, i'm and, i'm in the guest camp for that and i i think the part i always agree with is were bonds and clements hall of famers before the steroids and both of them were it's about the where they ended up in their career as far as all-time greats that maybe extended their not maybe like it more than likely and highly probably extended their reign of dominance longer which that maybe skewed it but they were already in the group of some of the greatest players of all time but i also don't really know i just have heard that opinion previously psychim asks pretty clear that a huge part of penn state's future is the development of young quarterbacks who in my opinion have a higher potential than what we've seen in recent prospects so what can the coaching staff do this fall to maximize their development which will determine to a large part if the team develops into a competitive winning program Years to come. Thanks for your work. Must spend many hours watching film. Fortunately, not as many as I'd like during this time of year because we're we're busy getting out all this great content for you guys. But when we have new film to watch, I will be here at this desk watching it for the whole time. So, Greg, what do you think Penn State needs to do 
with these young quarterbacks to make sure their development, they get something out of their redshirt year. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, there's been a lot of talk about this all offseason, too. I just don't think we're – if you think you're going to see all four of them against Ohio, then you better – Penn State better be up 60 nothing at halftime. Like, I, I just right. don't – You're. it's just not going to happen. Now, I would hope that James Franklin and Mike Yersich learn that they need to get their second-string guy some more meaningful reps sooner. So that would mean if you are up, uh, let's just say, 38-7 to on Ohio to start the fourth quarter – that should be the entire fourth quarter for Christian Bayou. And if you want to put one of yeah. those other guys in to hand off late, if you get a series or something, fine. But I mean, I just think that that's the key there is the game yeah. reps and the meaningful game reps, not coming in to hand off three times and get, you know, right. kick, you know, and then kick it away. So, I mean, that's really the focus for me would be T Frank. It's just, how do you get him into the game sooner? And then once you feel like you've given him enough reps, is there anybody else you want to give reps to or not? Or do you just want to yeah. let him play out the string? That, that'd be my thought. So I'll go with the practice side of things because I agree with you. You're not going to see these four quarterbacks all in the same game. And I'll start with a question. Is Sean Clifford a master enough of this offense that he doesn't need to take all the reps in practice? Like, can he get... There's not enough time for like a veteran rest day for your quarterback, but are there right. enough reps now where he doesn't need to take all the first team reps and you can see more from Christian Veyu in live fire situations in practice, you know, as close. I as mean, I would sure hope quarter. so. I mean, yeah, I would right? sure hope so. I mean, at this point, if he's not, you know, he's never going to be. So yeah, I would sure hope so. Yeah. Especially. So I would say if it were Veyu at this point as the starter, and we're, we're looking at those younger players, I would say he's a second year player. He's still learning the game of football. You probably still, even in the second year of his, uh, in, in the same offense, you still want to get him the majority of the reps. But if Sean Clifford doesn't know the difference between cover three and cover six, like what th those, those things are, he's been doing this for six years. So the basics and some of the fundamental parts of football and some of the decisions he's got to make based on formation and alignment and all that stuff, he should know all those. So it's about the system and how you take that information from the defense and apply it, as opposed to you still got to learn the information you're getting from the defense. So that is where I think Penn State has an advantage in the second year with Mike Yersich. And hopefully next year for them, Mike Yersich doesn't have a successful season and then get a head coaching job, so they have to start over again. Like They need to have some consistency for those young quarterbacks for all that to pay off turtle dog asks a question that I think might be a hot topic here. What is Penn state's football identity? A, an interesting question, Greg, do you have uh, an answer? Do you know? I mean, I guess like just questions like these, sometimes they feel like they come off as um, I'm not even sure what the word would be, but you know, what is Penn state football's identity? I mean, what it, it, James Franklin's been preaching it for nine years now. I mean, I think it's obviously their focus is going to be on trying to do things the right way. And whether that is partially tied back to the things that Joe Paterno did, and it's partially tied back to the things that James Franklin has learned and valued throughout his career. I mean, they are who they are. They're going to focus on the academic side of things. They're going to try and do things the right way in recruiting and in the transfer portal and in name, image, and likeness. And, you know, you would, I guess what you would say is, if, and I don't, again, I don't know what this question is getting to. It feels a little bit loaded, but maybe I'm misinterpreting I, I that. It, and I apologize. I took it as so. what's their, I took it as what's their on-field identity, uh, not necessarily as their program identity, because that's one of those things where to, to kind of give what I viewed as the context of the question 
is there, uh, there's always this push and pull with the Penn State fan base, especially the ones you and I interact with pretty regularly. It should be run the football. It should be this. What is it and what is, you know, what do they want it to be? Or, you yeah, know, I mean, on offense, they, yeah, I think on offense, they want to pretty clearly be fast and physical and aggressive, and they haven't really been that. And we'll see if some of the new guys can do that. What they want to be on offense and what they've been are two wildly different things. They want to be a program that can run the ball when they need to, and they haven't been that. So I think their identity on offense is a team that knows what it wants to be and hasn't had either the players, player development, or talent and execution on game day to be what it wants to be. And then defensively, you know, obviously with Manny Diaz here, it changes up things a little bit, but they want to be fast and aggressive. I mean, they just want to go get the ball, go play physical, go play fast. I mean, and Brent Pry had some elements of that too, but these guys are going to be flying around. And we saw that at times in Brent Pry's defense. I think we're going to see more of it now uh, with Manny Diaz. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It's the BWI Daily Edition Mailbag Show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr, and I'm here with Greg Pickle, reporter for Penn State football, wrestling, uh, and everything. Do you cover the the engineering program and the data science program? Because those that's during the offseason, yes. <laughs> that's come up this uh, recently with some of the recruits. But this question to me is, I agree. It, it's kind of it's a loaded question, which I thought made it interesting because it does tie into what you just said what their identity want what they want it to be and what they have been have been entirely different but i think what james franklin talks about is every year your team has a new identity especially on offense where what are the skill players that you have what are the offensive position pieces you can use and then how do you build what you do best within your playbook off of that but overall, they want to be an explosive offense. They want to get explosive plays, and they're going to prioritize those over consistency and 15-play drives. That being said, they had a lot of 15-play drives last year, Greg. I think people discredit that because, again, it didn't come from under center, eye formation. It didn't make you feel good, but it was the same result. If you throw the ball to Jahan Dotson and he gets four yards or you give it to Kevon Lee up the middle with Bretton Strange as a fullback and you get four yards, it's four yards. And you do that right. 15 times and you end with a field goal, you still don't get to 35 points in the game. So right. that is the difference of last year was by necessity. So go back to what we talked about with this offense in general looking back over the last couple of years since Joe Moore had left. They have not had an offensive system long enough to develop a year-to-year identity where they they had Ricky Ronnie and they went back to what they were doing before Moorhead, kind of a blend of the two. Kirk Scirocco was here for a hot minute, and it was a hot, toxic minute because of the pandemic. We, that offense that had no identity because it never, it, it was dead on arrival. Like there was no chance that it could have an identity. Last season did not go well for Mike Yersich. This is an opportunity for them to reset that conversation offensively and have the identity that they want, which will include running the football and having explosive runs and being a balanced offense in the best case scenario of Mike Yersich's offense. 
that is part of what his identity has been previously. It can be what it is again, but they'll do what they need to do to get points and win games in the end. Defensively, I think you're right, more aggressive than Brent Pry. Same thing as what they've always done, but more aggressive. We have a question here from Twitter. We all know Sean Clifford struggles under pressure. Understand the issue isn't always as simple as hitting checkdowns or hot routes, but does Clifford use these options effectively? Can he uh, can these issues be mitigated through getting the ball out faster? I think this is an interesting question. Uh, I'd say at the beginning of the year, he actually was using his checkdowns, but he forgot that lesson as the year went on. Do you have a, a remedy for Sean Clifford when it comes to being less aggressive or getting the ball out more efficiently and quickly? Yeah, man, it's August. It is definitely August because we are at the point now where we are just beating the same dead horse over and over <laughs> and over again. How can Sean Clifford be better? What can he do differently? I mean, look, uh, can he use those better? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think one of the things we talked about before, T. Frank, was that his reads are something he struggles with. I mean, he does not yeah. always get through his progressions well, and he sometimes seems to forget he has a safety valve. So, I think if you're a Penn State fan, you just have to hope that it being year two in the Mike Yersich system is going to let him play a little bit slower and be able yeah. to see things a little bit clearer. And if he needs to use that safety valve uh, when it needs to be used. So, yeah, I, I think that it's a fair point. It's a good question. But I, I mean, ultimately, we're again at the point where we're kind of just looking at the same old things for Sean Clifford when we all know that if Penn State wins, it's not going to matter if he didn't hit the check down or if he didn't read <laughs> his progressions well. So uh, I think it's, it's it's all of it, though. I mean, to, use, yeah. to steal the phrase from James Franklin, you did all earlier. It's all of it. It's all of it. And if yeah. it leads to Penn State wins, uh, it's not going to be a problem for anyone. Part of the part of the narrative from last season is he didn't use his checkdowns because a lot of his straight dropbacks came in third and five. Like you can't check the ball down if you want to get the first down and move on and keep the drive alive. So if there are more opportunities for him to have a straight drop back where he can check the ball down, I think that's an opportunity for him to show that level of growth. But there were so many predetermined reads and read options and RPOs that they were just doing like, again, anything to win the game. And they set up their offense of what they do best. The other thing is like checkdowns are not a valuable throw that they, they can be, you can use them effectively, but if your quarterback is continually checking down, it means that he does not have the internal fortitude to put the ball in windows down the field. So I, in the end, I'd rather have a quarterback that uses that judiciously, but still tries to get the ball for those explosive plays. Z fresh. Oh five Penn state's run defense is going to be a problem with Manny Diaz. Sutherland linebacker safety when it seems to be a key tackling role. Now, I, I did not use words to say that, but we've we've been over this. Is there anything you want to add to this conversation about Manny Diaz specifically? No, and <laughs> not really about the um, run defense. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I think I get it. I do. Um, but Penn State just, need, you know, again, I think that obviously there is this perception that so many teams are going to be so past or run heavy and that Penn State's not going to be good enough up the middle. And I get it. That may be the case, T. Frank. But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I think that Manny has been coaching defense a long time. And if you think he's going to come in here and not try and bring something that resembles a good rush defense, I think you're mistaken. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, this one. A different way to phrase that, I think, or a different part of looking at his scheme is with the defensive scheme being more aggressive and pushing for the defense to make more game-changing plays, could you see a rise, turnovers, sack numbers, and tackle for loss? Is it reasonable to expect the guys on defense to be 100% comfortable with his scheme going into West Lafayette? If not, when yes. do you think that is? I think that's yeah, this, I is, mean, this is a really interesting question. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is. You should expect that. I mean, look, there's changes to coordinators all the time in college football, and Penn State is not an exception. And there's many of many schools that have multiple years of straight of coordinator change, and somehow everything yeah. works out well. So, yeah, I do think it's fair to expect that. And with the aggressiveness, yes, I do think those numbers will rise. But I also think you have to accept, too, that you're going to see some mistakes and missed tackles and things like that rise as well because that's yep. the style that they're playing. And those, those things can happen when you're playing fast and reckless and loose and everything else. But it can also lead to those game-changing moments as well. Yeah, and, and this is the point I've – wondered out loud several times not truthfully not knowing what how this will shake out is you might get more turnovers but you might get more explosive play touchdowns because if you're aggressively going after the ball and a couple people take advantage of that maybe some double moves maybe your pass rush doesn't get there then all of a sudden you have opportunity where you're not playing soft coverage and then rallying and tackling and you're not letting them go eight plays and you know those situations so if you're if you're playing with fire you know what happens sometimes uh, and I, I, I don't mean to say that it is it is irresponsible. I'm just saying that it is more on the edge than they have been previously. B. Slayton asks, uh, rank away press box on the schedule this season. Which press box and stadium is the one you dread being in and which one is the best? You are our expert in this. So what is your uh, view of your travel schedule this year? Well, so I th let's take Auburn out of play because I've never been there before, so I don't think it's fair to include. Um, Purdue is nice, but I it's you know it's not it's okay, it's just okay. Mm -hmm. And you got to fly into Indy, and it's a little bit challenge, more challenging to get to Indy than you think it would be. So, I guess I would probably have that at the bottom of the list. Northwestern is awesome; that whole setup out there is great. I know that's that's a home game for Penn State. I'm trying to think of the road games here. Michigan is. It's just a big – it's it's nice. It's very nice, but I guess I would put that third. And then uh, Michigan State is – well, let me, let me do it differently. Michigan State probably number one. Michigan number two. Uh, are they going to Rutgers or Maryland this year? They're going to Rutgers. I'll, I'll yeah, give, I'll I give would you make all of them. Rutgers three. So yeah. Yep. At Purdue, uh, you've got at Michigan, at Indiana, at Rutgers. Okay, so I, I, sorry, Michigan State's at home this year. We've been talking for too long, T. Frank. My brain is mush, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I would rank them. You know, Indiana and Purdue at the bottom. I guess mm -hmm. in this particular setup, uh, Maryland. Or I'm sorry. Um, how, read that to me. It was it Maryland or Rutgers that they're going to at this point. Uh, I, I Rutgers, just, <laughs> Rutgers. They're going to yeah. Rutgers. So I, I would say Indiana and Purdue three and four, uh, Rutgers two, and then Michigan one. But Michigan is not one on most lists, but it has to be on this one. What is the? And I, I hate to drag this out, but what's the worst press box? What's the nightmare press box you've been to that you don't want to go back to ever again? Yeah, um, Indiana is. I mean, that, it's very steep. I think is the one thing that I remember from being out there. It's very, very steep. So that's probably the one that is. It's just an interesting setup out there in Bloomington. So that's probably the one. Last question: Franklin and PJ Mustaver have been extremely vocal about PJ's readiness for the season, uh, but not so much about Adisa Isaac. Haven't heard as much. Who was injured much earlier in the calendar. So the question is. Has there been no outward proclamation of Adisa's readiness? What are your thoughts on his readiness? And uh, the Achilles injury that we've been talking about that he suffered can be a year to recover from knee injuries, depending on the seriousness, can be the same or less. And it was reported that PJ's knee injury was serious. So I think part of the thing about Adisa Isaac, Greg, is that James Franklin was very positive 
at the beginning of the year, like in January, right. and it's exactly he participated where I was going with that. Yep. in spring football. Yeah, he did interviews after the spring game, so that's that means he compete. You know, he participated enough and was healthy enough for them to let him come out and talk to reporters. And if he wasn't, they wouldn't have. So I think that's why there's just no reason for us to ask the question anymore because his availability, at least in my mind, is not really in question. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair. Po- the, the The question I have is when you're coming back from an Achilles injury. Do you have the same explosiveness? And explosiveness is essential to his game. It is all of his game. So has he recovered to the point? Some players never fully regain that. But I think we're at the point in uh, science and and rehabilitation and all these things that he can get back there. It's just a question of has he gotten back to full strength yet? Because it's kind of like, you know, certain positions when you tear your ACL, you're more vulnerable because you use that ligament to stabilize when turning and cutting. So, and there's other positions you use it less. Explosiveness is essential to his game. Where is he there, even if he is playing? That's my question that we'll find out in West Lafayette. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure, T. Frank. For Nate. All right, that'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition Mailbag Show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll be back tomorrow. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.